So in the summer of 2016, my husband and I were in couples counseling um, to address some um, issues that long-standing issues in our communication skills and uh, the sessions went in a direction that was very surprising and uncomfortable to me and um, combined with my history of anxiety and depression I found myself lost and very confused and um, that was exhibited in the session one particular session where I sort of shut down and I looked at the therapist and I just said, I don't know what I should do. At which point she very unexpectedly and somewhat abruptly suggested that I check myself into an outpatient psych center, which was totally alarming and surprising um, and led into this spiral of intense fear and self-doubt uh, the primary factor being, was I going to lose my family? Because it seemed like such an extreme and unexpected suggestion, which led to a significant breakdown. Welcome to Health Stories, interviews inside the healthcare system. In this podcast, we invite you, the listener, to hear the stories from caregivers, patients, clinicians, loved ones, and others who have navigated through our healthcare system. And today I am... Uh, excited to welcome Joanna Whitney. He's a private acting and voice coach. She's also an adjunct professor in theater arts um, and she's going to be talking about bipolar disorder too. So welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Um, so as uh, we talk about mental health and I'm so glad you're on this show because I, I was saying to Joanna that we have almost no mental health on this podcast and trying to figure out why that is. And um, you're already touching on issues of identity and stigma in the beginning of, of this story. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what, what happened after that? You were told that you should go to outpatient and you were concerned about your family and you were considering it and then what happened? Sure. Well, obviously with my history of anxiety and depression, I had been to my primary care physician multiple times talking about this, looking at medications. Um, she had interestingly, uh, a month or so earlier, suggested to me that I see a psychiatrist, that she no longer felt like seeing her was adequate, um, which had been suggested to me before and I never followed up on mm -hmm. due to stigma and fear. Um, I was in private therapy as well and I discussed this suggestion with my private therapist. Well, maybe it's not a bad idea. You're you know, it would give you focused work time and a psychiatrist would be available. But we're talking about, it was a two-week program from nine mm -hmm. to three. And it um, was the majority were um, drug and alcohol abuse mm -hmm. clients. So um, I, it just, I refused. I just, in my gut, I knew that wasn't what I needed. However, it opened up such a, um, such a, such terror, um, I became literally paralyzed. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't leave my bedroom. My husband had to come home. I couldn't care for my child. It just, I was became just paralyzed. Um, 
And was the, the paralysis due to the conversation that you had with this psychologist you know, the, that she had suggested going to outpatient? Or are you talking about that suggestion that? combined with my my therapist saying, well, mm-hmm. maybe it's not a bad idea, oh, combined okay. with historically the suggestion of psych led to this, mm-hmm. um, this cr- crisis of self-doubt, complete self-doubt. Mm-hmm. And... Um, questioning of what I felt to be true and real and so I shut down and it was almost almost a physical paralysis in addition to a um, a mental and emotional paralysis went to an urgent you know went to our PCP provider however I didn't see my doctor I happened to see a different provider in the office because it was an after hours type appointment and she happened to have experience having worked with psych Mm. psych patients and um, immediately addressed my concerns this was a it was a godsend in the sense that my first thing was I'm scared I'm going to lose my family am I going to lose my family going going to outpatient you're saying just just period I was in such a in such a state that I I was a I was imagining that my family was going to be removed or I was going to be removed. This is independent of the outpatient. Oh. This was just my that somebody, okay. <laughs> some force was going to come in and remove me or remove okay. them from me. So she was able to very quickly assure me that that was not remotely going to happen. That in the scale of psychiatric crises I was in a very normal range even though it didn't feel normal mm-hmm. she was quick to say to suggest you know you're going to go to a psychiatrist they're going to put you on lamictal and you're going to be fine and she went on to say lamictal should be in the water everybody needs lamictal <laughs> was her general take so anyway that um I had at my PCP providers um uh, suggestion I had made an appointment with a psychiatrist that was five weeks out so right, I was right. in this liminal state of waiting for it that I had this breakdown um, I was able to get it pushed back a week and I so for two weeks um, my mother came up to help me I I saw a chiropractor who does energy work I looked into an appointment with a massage therapist who does primarily in energy work and that got me through the two weeks to the um, psychiat- the appointment with the psychiatrist, which was um, very uncomfortable. And then, but I got a, that's where I got the diagnosis, which... With, of bipolar Of bipolar two. type 2, which I did not, I was not familiar with, there being two types of bipolar. I heard bipolar and I thought, oh my, oh my God, this is terrifying. He sort of explained it to me, made it very, you know, kind of downplayed it, wrote me a prescription, which I started, and um, very luckily within... A month, mm-hmm. I rea- I had benefits. I reacted positively. You know, it was a, a pretty marked change in mm-hmm. my mental state. So I, I I want to back up a little bit um, for people who are listening and um, appreciate you talking about the the stigma and being in this liminal space of not knowing um, what was going on. But I do know a little bit because you had told me that you had been diagnosed with something else before, and I want to kind of unpack that a little bit. So what was your initial diagnosis many years earlier? Sure. Since um, right around 16, 
was when I was diagnosed with major depression disorder. D- depression. Yeah, okay. depression. I, that's when I started taking antidepressants, and that's when I started talk therapy. And through all my late teens, 20s, into my 30s, was um, continually in and out of therapy mm-hmm. and on and off medications because they never quite worked. Um, in my, I guess it was in my 20s that anxiety generalized anxiety disorder was added to my diagnosis and um again uh change of medications change of therapist never really addressed i would have periods where i was relatively fine and then episodes um can you describe a little bit well first i want to i want to tell our listeners that um i was looking up some information in um, anticipation of this podcast on depression and in medical news today, they were talking about that women are more likely to be diagnosed um, with depression and receive an incorrect diagnosis who have bipolar disorder. And that sounds like what you're talking about. Exactly. Um, interestingly, women are misdiagnosed significantly more than men because when they seek help, it's seen as depression Mm. and um it's associated with ptsd um add adhd seasonal affective disorder Mm. and anxiety so it's very easy if you're just going to your pcp or even to a a a counselor a therapist psychologist for them to that what it is what is presenting typically when you're in crisis anxiety depression when in fact there is this um other side to it um, largely because we're, we're aware that in bipolar type one, there are these extreme mood swings, the, um, often resorting in hospitaliz- hospitalization mm-hmm. on either end, the manic or the depressive, and it impairs function. Mm-hmm. Um, however, bipolar type two is, is a less severe and easier not to see because um, the hypomania, as opposed to mania, the hypomania is is a heightened emotional or energetic state, mm-hmm. um, just above normal. Well, two other major features of bipolar type two that related to me is that it's um, there's this concept of mixed features, mm-hmm. meaning that the the hypomania and the depression are simultaneously interacting and presenting, mm-hmm. which is definitely what my experience was. And then there's again this um, rapid cycling is another characteristic, which is basically where four you'll have four or more of these episodes within a 12-month period. And um, interestingly, I exhibited all those characteristics. However, because it was presented or being seen as depression and anxiety, that was overlooked. Because with the mixed features, you don't see just the mania or just the depression. And that almost, I think, leads to a more functional individual because the two are... So let's, let's um, so for our listeners, because I've always wondered, you know, so I've heard of all of these terms, but what is, what is a hypomanic? Sure. So um, I'll start in the mixed features, because again, that's what I now in, in hindsight recognize is, for instance, when I would be, when I would feel despair, when I would feel most depressed, I would have this 
um, unrealistic thoughts, mm. um, irrational, irrational and unrealistic thoughts uh, related to my depression. And simultaneously, I would have this energetic, th this impulse, this mania to force myself out of the depression. Okay. So I would be se severely depressed and I would force myself. Okay. Like when I lived in New York City, when I felt it that bad, I would force myself to walk. I would force myself to be in social interaction, which was very painful. Or I would be depressed, so I would force myself to go into a store and buy art supplies. Or, you know, I have oh, I, I have um, 10 gallons of paint. No, I guess it's two, two gallons, whatever. I have two cans of paint right now in my closet of a color because I, because in a hypomania state, I went to a paint store saying if I paint my room. So there, there was this, oh, okay. this combination of simultaneously fighting oh, okay. uh, of the two warring. Yeah. But um, the high and the, the hypomania, when it happened more, when it was more dominant, I would have these amazing career ideas. And I would, I would have an idea for a program and I would reach out and I would make a connection and I would just go full. This is characteristic of me. I go full into an idea and then have a crash at the end of it mm -hmm. and not be able to follow through because it was unrealistic. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's characterized is by these moments of, of something that was, um, irrational or unrealistic, but not so extreme, extreme that it caused... Yeah. episodes and similarly with the depression I would reach out in I, I, there were regular times I would reach out to my sister or a family member or a friend and it would just be dire and upon saying it I would hear the irrationality in it so all of my all of my swings are when I would come out of them into a more normal state which is interesting about why it's so hard to address bipolarity too is because you return to a normal state as opposed to staying in manic or depressive. Uh, okay. You go, you have an episode and then you have normalcy. Then you have, so in this normalcy, I would look back and I would just say, what was that? Uh, okay. That doesn't make sense. My reaction in that situation was not rational. Yeah. And I was just always confused by it because it didn't make sense as depression or anxiety. It just never, mm. nothing ever made sense. So thinking back to the, um, so going back to your opening story, you were concerned that people would take your family away. Was that an example? That, that's, was that like the irrational thought that was going along with how you were feeling in that moment? I, yes, yeah. I would say yes now. Yeah. Um, that, that was also what I fixated on. I, uh, with yeah. these hypomanic uh, and depressive swings, I would have a fixation yeah, okay. that would would be at the core of driving the depression and the mania. So how do you? So so we're we're almost to the halfway point um, already, which is amazing. This has gone by so fast because no, I great stories and and lots of helping us understand because I think we don't know a lot about bipolar. And for myself, 
all I've ever known is bipolar one, which is huge swings of mania and depression. And when I hear about the mania, it's people going on binges and spending thousands of dollars and going on trips on a whim. And, and not that those things are inherently bad, but they're, they're outside of the norm, the norm for that individual. And so we're really talking about an individual's experience. I want to unpack a little bit for people who are listening, who may know somebody or may be thinking, oh my gosh, this might be me. I've been diagnosed with anxiety and depression. Huh, I wonder if, if this is me. How, how would you suggest in terms of going through the healthcare system to get where you are today and kind of figure out those steps a little bit more? So the number one thing that I learned out of this is if it doesn't feel right, hmm. it's not right. Um, be that the therapist, the doctor, uh, diagnosis even mm. uh, my gut throughout was just like that this the 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 treatment I was getting it just never felt right mm. it never and then specifically when this suggestion to check myself into outpatient psych I just was like no even in my full crisis I was aware that that's not that wasn't right so, um, so that's my first thing is if it, if it doesn't feel right when you're in your normal state, it, you know, if you experience heightened periods of, of, um, of energy or of mood, if you, if you, if you feel like you're having, for me, it was always mood swings. That's how mm -hmm. I, that's how I would present. That's what I would say to a therapist is I have these, I have really high and frequent mood swings. Mm -hmm. And oh, I feel like that should have been, yeah, it. that's the, well, um, that they were that's the rapid them. cycling. Yeah, yeah. And that I feel like could have been caught. So I live mm -hmm. in this land of, of what if I have, uh, I really struggle with this if this had been diagnosed, what I could have made, what I could have become, you know, how it limited me. But you've got to, you've got to move beyond that. Yeah. And the main thing is if you are having, depression is typically long periods of darkness. Mm -hmm. And if people are saying you have depression, but you're having this hypomania in the midst of it, that's not a clear presentation of mm. depression and if the anxiety is is punctuated with depression again if you're so you have to self-educate now one thing we didn't have the internet when I was 16 mm. so I couldn't self-educate up until I was in my 30s I could not search resources on my own or reach out to resources so now we have that tool where you can read descriptions and say does this sound like me? But if you if you are having four or more episodes in twelve months, that's not yeah. normal, quote unquote. So somehow you have to um, have the courage to be your own advocate and say to your PCP or your therapist something doesn't quite something's not clicking here. And that's exactly where I want to go. So listening to what you're saying, how can we help the clinical community? in order to recognize this and also to, to work with you to treat this because you started with talking about fear and stigma. So um, tell us a little bit about what your thoughts are to, to helping sure. those in, in well, healthcare. Well, number one, which is why I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be on this podcast because I've wanted to tell my story and even 
but but there is stigma as a as an educator as a person who has young adult clients and children you know there's this if my my second fear was if my if my students parents know I have bipolar type 2 will they not send their students to me mm. so um, but we have to both those of us with the living with these mental health issues and um, the larger the larger set we need to just address mental health stigma and recognize it as a as a disability not unlike uh, diabetes, high blood pressure. It's just, it's a, it's not, it, we, it's associated with a character, with the individual character when in fact it's brain, it's brain function, it's genetics, it's, it's not a person's, it's not a fault in right. a person. So that's one is how do we socially address stigma? As far as to the clinicians, I feel like what could have helped me and could help it is if a if a PCP if your if your doctor recommends like my doctor did with me I think you should follow up with a psychiatrist having some support system mm -hmm. to ensure follow up to ensure that that individual does and even in a, you know if there were some direct relationship in the practice with a psychiatrist, some sort of partnership. So instead of this person in crisis having to then go and call six practice, you know, psychiatrists who may or may not even be taking clients, if there were something that were more seamless to usher a patient presenting with mental health issues to their primary doctor, which is the first line of defense. That's where you go first. You're having a crisis, you go to your doctor. So if there were something that were more helpful in ushering to that next step of care, mm -hmm. um, I think also as private care pra uh, practitioners, if they look beyond what I consider to be the easy diagnosis of depression, especially mm -hmm. in the case of women, oh, here's another depressed woman. You know, here's another lonely, you know, it's just so easy to go with depression and antidepressants. When in fact, my feeling when I looked into bipolar, it's remarkably straightforward. Mm. I read the, upon diagnosis, I read like the characters, I'm like, this is not complex. You just look, looking a little deeper beyond the depression, asking, do you have rapid mood swings? Asking, does it happen 12 or more times in a month? Asking, do you ever feel like when you're in those swings that there was an irrational or a uh, uh, something something that did not seem like you in those moments? I feel like uh, being able, but that may go to training. So having a men mental, a stronger mental health component maybe in the training, but but I think the main things are somehow making it easier for the patient in distress to follow up and pursue that next level into psychiatry. And with the stigma removed, um, but the other major situation in Pennsylvania um, and in the country at large is we have a, a significant deficit in psychiatric yeah. care. It's taxed by the court system. It's, um, you know, you can wait four to six weeks is good statistics yeah. if so so we need more mental health care providers i think in the case i mean i would love to come back to this original counselor who i felt impacted very negatively 
a situation by basically adding gas to a fire, adding gas to a coal, quite honestly. I was presenting with a crisis, so she applied this, what felt to me, extreme. This felt like a way of washing their hands. Mm -hmm. This felt like a way of, okay, I don't know the next step, so I'm going to wash my, I'm going to just push them. Mm. as opposed to um, really, I, I didn't feel like that was appropriate for the cir- circumstance. Yeah, because you were in a hypomanic state at that time. Well, the way it would have, the only way it would have helped, and this is what, was that it would have gotten me quick access oh, to a psychiatrist yeah, and to true. medications. Which might help some people. But you yep. can't, yep. you're not allowed within that system and program to pick and choose (laughs) you know you have to commit to the program and to the full two weeks it is a you self admit but it's still a you know it's it's voluntary but at the same time it's it's got its rules so I just want to kind of go back quickly to um and just briefly review you're talking about being an advocate for yourself um you talked about telling your story um, making sure that um, checking in with your gut, knowing that something's not right or this treatment isn't working. Um, and I can only imagine how difficult that would be, especially in a system that's not really supporting um, patients to tell their stories and take the time and say, I don't think this feels right or is there something else that I can do. Um, I want to go to um, our last section, which is really thinking about um, how to help people through this system. Um, and what advice you have looking back and what resources you might provide people? The number one, um, don't, don't keep it inside. Don't do it. Don't do it alone. Have, uh, if you can possibly have a trusted confidant. I had my sister first who was steadfast, who would, could could listen to anything. She's very even tempered in a different, in the different way than me. And she could listen without judgment and without alarm and without panic. So having a confidant is to be able to bounce off of who might then be able to say, Hey, I think, I think this isn't making sense, or I think you need something. Having a confidant so you don't feel alone because it's easy to quote unquote pass Mm-hmm. with bipolar type 2 and the world not know you're suffering um, so that's one don't don't go it alone if at all possible I was very lucky that my husband similarly was not going to give up on me even in the midst of I can only assume very scary episodes um, I I think therapy is great for any talk therapy is great for anyone regardless of their mental health state, because it increases self-awareness. I also feel like uh, mindfulness practice, such as yoga or um, meditation, anything that is self-reflective, anything that hits the pause button and allows you the time and the space to look inside. Um, Again, so that you can strengthen your sense of self and your sense of is this normal? Is this okay? Normal for you. Normal yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah. like when you self-reflect. Uh, is what I'm thinking and how I'm feeling, does that feel quote-unquote normal? Um, so that you can essentially self-diagnose. Is So that you can know. I got very adept at, oh, okay, a, this, is, this episode is beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so that then you can step out and know, okay, this is when I need to go talk to somebody. Or um, So I think a combination of um, mindfulness, self-care, um, talk therapy, so that again, you have someone to bounce off of, having a trusted confidant that you can call at three in the morning. Those are critical. And then up, uh, apply to that not being ashamed or mm -hmm. afraid to not only ask for help, but look for resources. Um, any community, there's the institution, the NAMI. They have a website that um, can directly connect you to local support groups, local um, chapters, um, local crisis hotlines. Um, there's also one, the Depression and Bipolar, DBSA, Depression mm -hmm. and Bipolar something Alliance. Uh, but dbsaalliance.com, they can also connect you to local resources. You just, the number one is not isolating yourself and being alone. And that has to do with having the courage to, um, to address the potential for stigma um, and not being afraid to reach out and use a crisis hotline. I, at one point called, it was not a, a suicide prevention hotline. It was just a, a crisis hotline. I just mm -hmm. called. And I just said, I just have to talk to somebody. Yeah. And they just talked to me. Interesting. And I felt better because often what happens is you'll spiral into unrealistic thoughts and mm -hmm. then you just need someone to help ground you. Would you mind sharing um, who you called? This was text? in my 30s. Oh, and I okay. don't remember. But there is, um, if you text 741741, mm -hmm. you can text any word, like you could text talk or support, but if you uh, text that number, that is a national crisis support line, and you will be connected with a human being. Mm -hmm. And the beauty about that is it's over text, it's anonymous, it's, it, it, it is not, um, what's the word? Um, it's a little bit easier, you know, when you're texting. So, and again, reaching out and making a, connection to a human um, so those are the number one is is trust your gut know know your resources and self-care self-awareness self-knowledge so that you can then advocate for yourself and um, try you know I really struggled with the diagnosis I was devastated by the diagnosis it sounded so terrifying. But then once I did some research, once I thought about it, I was like, oh my gosh. And the that's it. That's it. All those years of, this just doesn't make sense. This isn't right. I don't fit this characteristic. Suddenly, that was me. I recognized myself. And there was this immense liberation. And it translated into actual joy and knowing, finally, and also, I was very lucky that the medication worked um, on the first go. But um, I'm now, I now live as the true version of myself that I knew was in there, but that was always um, hidden, that it was always hidden by. So now I, you know, I can go into a grocery store without doubting myself. Mm. I can teach with confidence. I can believe in myself, in what I knew to be true about myself without all this irrational self-talk. 
And now everything makes sense. In hindsight, I look back and I'm like, of course, that was the hypomania. I look back at my um, reactions to, you know, and I'm just like, that's what it was. So having the terror of the diagnosis turned into a gift and a liberation. Excellent. It seems like um, to have a, an illness uh, label um, for many people can be really scary and it sounds like though it had such a positive impact long term on your personal identity and who you are. Absolutely because it allowed me the the diagnosis plus the medication allowed me to live as my true self. Thank you so much Joanna for being on this podcast. Thank you it was a pleasure. It was really wonderful was. having you on and, and we would love to have more on mental health uh, it is, uh, I believe it's in May, uh, is Mental Health Awareness Month, which is coming up. And if you are interested in being in the podcast, we would love to have you on. Um, you can find us and like us on Facebook at Health Stories Podcast. We're also on Twitter at Stories Health. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you join us again next week. This is Nicole Deffenbaugh with Health Stories.